<laughs> I'm like, wow, they sound pretty good. <laughs> I know they're not talking about us. <laughs> um, it is kind of funny about the hugging thing. You know, you think people don't notice, right? But people notice everything, no matter what you do. And I remember um, Pastor Paul and some of the other guys were around there. And they know that I have this personal bubble of like six feet. I mean, no one can get in my bubble except for Mickey. And we used to sit at home, you know, when the kids were little. And this is how big my bubble is, is that Mickey would be on the couch and the kids would be like one like clamped on this side, one clamped on this side. I'd be on the other side of the room in a chair. I'm like, kids, like pack off, give her some space. <laughs> he's like, that's not my bubble. Or I mean, that's my bubble, not yours. <laughs> but my bubble like, okay, included her. It's like, give her some space. But obviously, if you know Mickey, she loved that uh, chance. Um, oh, I started telling that story about Paul. I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> sorry. You know, Anthony always kids, gives me a hard time because I can never make it through a sermon without making at least one mistake. And so, <laughs> this is for you. I already forgot the story of telling. So, <laughs> so, I have this big bubble. And early on, uh, Paul and some of the other guys found out about this. And so, they thought this was great. So, I'd be standing here. And someone would distract me, so I'd start talking there. And the other one would, like, creep in like a foot. And then I'd turn around like that without even realizing I'd back off. And they would creep in a foot. And they would, and they would back me into a wall and be like... <laughs> <laughs> so they obviously noticed. <laughs> uh, it is so hard to believe that this is our last Sunday here. We've been here for 17 and a half years. And I was thinking about that, 17 and a half years, and that's like from the time that a child is born, a baby, to like graduating from high school. I mean, that's a long time. And think about all the things that happen in the course of that time from a baby graduating from high school, right? They've got their first steps. They've got their first words. They've got their first day of school. They've got the first time behind the wheel of a car and the first time that the parent has a nervous breakdown, coincidentally, on the exact same day. <laughs> but all of these things happen. And when you think about how much a child grows in that time, and how much a child learns in that time, it is just amazing. And how can I sum up what we've done in 17 and a half years in 20 minutes? Where do I even begin? Where do I even start? I figure we can begin at the beginning. So, this is a picture of me. <laughs> I'm not sure how fat or far back. Paul's got 20 minutes, say whatever you want, start from the beginning. I'm like, well, there's the beginning. <laughs> so, the next picture is a picture of Mickey at the beginning. <laughs> All right, too early? We'll move on from there. The next picture. So, this is me calling Mickey for the very first time. <laughs> And this is Mickey's response. Ooh. He likes me. <laughs> All right, so we actually didn't meet. That wasn't the first call we met uh, when we were in our 20s in Colorado and we got married. This is a picture of us on our wedding day here. So, look at that. And we got married in Colorado, and uh, we were moved out to Minnesota for a year or so, and then I got hired with the FAA, and I moved out here. So this picture is what we looked like when we moved out here a long time ago. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can see the hair back then, but it was like, <laughs> I've had a cut since then. Um, and then when we came to uh, King of Grace 17 and a half years, this is what we look like now in this next picture. And if you can see how small Ben is, Ben like is taller than anyone in our family at this point. 
Um, Annie's married, has two, has two kids. Um, Ben's an air traffic controller out in, uh, out in Kansas City. He's trying to get back here. Pray for him that he can get his transfer um, as well. But, um, you know, just as a, we can stop the pictures, Dan. We don't, I can see it right here, so I don't want to keep looking at myself. That makes me nervous. <laughs> but um, just as a child learns, and just as a child grows, and they've got these special people in their lives, and they've got these special places in their lives, and these things that happen, I want to talk about what we learned here at King of Grace, and why, where we grow, and why this church has been so special to us. And I'm going to spend a lot of the time talking about what I learned as a pastor, because I think that's important, but I'm going to be talking about a lot of this stuff as Mickey and I, and some of those times I'll specify um, that as well. But as a pastor, I've grown so much. It has been absolutely incredible. Because it's, it's important to remember that no matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone thinks, to be a pastor doesn't mean that you're already there. doesn't mean that you're complete in spiritual maturity. doesn't mean that you've arrived at all. Um, because no one has at all. And um, to be a pastor doesn't mean that you're not without faults, that you're not without temptations, that you're not without weaknesses, that there's not times that come up and you just cry out to God. It's like, God, I don't know what to do. And I know this, I can't do it without you. And I can't do this without you. And only you are the one who's going to be come through. And so please help us. Please guide me. Please lead me. Please help me. That's what it means to be a pastor. So there is a growth. There is always a growth that takes place in every pastor, no matter where they are. Um, Mickey's dad passed away. He had been a pastor for 50 years, and he was taking um, classes. He was getting a, uh, like another master's degree or a master's degree. And he was like in his 80s. He was still learning because you never, ever arrive. And so what are the things that I've learned over the time that I've been here? I just want to touch on a couple of them um, because, again, there's so many of them. But one of the biggest things that happened to me, and Paul already kind of started this story, so I'm going to give the details of the story right here, was um, when I began to read Charles Spurgeon and I began to read the Puritans, I began to read J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle lived in the 1800s, absolute favorite of mine. But there's a woman who went here. Her name was Karen Cook. She was part of the church flat. She stayed here until she moved back to Maryland. And, uh, but where she was reading this book, and it was by Charles Spurgeon, and sh she's talking to Mickey and myself, and she's like, look, Jeff looks just like Charles Spurgeon. So I grabbed the book, and I'm like, I don't look anything like him. He's a fat guy with a beard. I'm not a fat guy with a beard. <laughs> maybe he's got a round face, maybe I got a round face, I don't know. Um, but I'm like, I do not look like him at all. I'm like, what are you, crazy? So there's this little girl walking, walking by, and she stops the little girl, and she says, hey, who's this a, who's this a picture of? And she goes, Mr. Jeff. <laughs> and then she, like, skips away. I'm like, what are you, kidding me? And, and then, so she's like, see, see, what did I tell you? You look just like Spurgeon. So I'm like, well, I've got to find out who Spurgeon is. I've got to read the book and find out. I, I, I didn't know who he was up until that point. And I read him, and I was just amazed, and I absolutely loved him. And it kind of went on to this whole discovery of like um, Puritans and um, um, all these other guys. And so I started reading what I used to call like the godly dead guys because I wouldn't read anybody who was still living. I didn't have anything against them, but the stuff I wanted to read was the Puritans. The stuff I wanted to read was the, the, the generation after the Puritans who took all of the Puritan stuff and then, so the Puritans are learning while they're going, and they're writing while they're going, and they're doing all this stuff. Behind them, you've got like Spurgeon, and you've got like J.C. Ryland, you've got this generation who has taken the stuff that they've already learned, and now they're applying it to life, and they're in just a way that is absolutely, absolutely amazing. 
Um, and so I started digging into there. One of the books I read first, and this is the, my next thing, the, one of the biggest things that I have learned coming here is understanding sin and understanding the nature of sin and the relentlessness of sin and, and, and what it is. And see, if we really want to understand God's grace and what he saved us from, we need to know what he saved us from. It is from sin. And so I started reading a book, and it was um, by a guy who was living, but he was writing about a dead guy, so I felt better about that. <laughs> this is the book. It's called The Enemy Within, and it's by a guy named Chris Lungard. And uh, he took a couple of John Owen's books. John Owen was a uh, Puritan. And if you've ever read a Puritan, or if you've ever read anything that was written in, six, in the 1600s, it is, like, unbelievably difficult to read. <laughs> it's not easy at all. And it's just the language is hard. Everything they do about it is hard. And John Owen is known as being, like, the hardest of, of them all. So Lungard took this book, and he, like, re, he took two of Owen's books, and he rewrote it in a way that we could understand. It's a modern way, and he used modern illustrations and stuff, and it was just absolutely um, fantastic. Um, and in the, in the beginning of this book, Lungard says this, and he starts with this question, which is what sent him on the search. He said, if God has redeemed me from sin and God has given me strength against sin, why do I go on sinning? And this is what the book about. It's about this indwelling sin and how God does redeem us from our sin. And God does give us strength, but that sin is always within. It's this indwelling sin. And so it's what we battle against. And once we battle for, and this book is about how you do that and how you walk through that and even just that recognition. Um, this book was so absolutely powerful in my life. It was like one of the key turning points in all of my life, in all of my Christian understanding, was the understanding of sin. And if I could go back and if I could re-preach every one of my messages, I think I would bring a more emphasis on sin. Not to be negative, not to bring down, but we, we have to understand it. And we have to understand this if we're going to understand God's grace. And we have to understand how it works if we're going to battle against it. So um, John Owen's book was called Mortification of Sin. Mortification means to put to death sin. But, so, so listen to the title. This is a typical Puritan title of a book. Mortification of Sin in Believers, the Necessity, Nature, and Means of It, with a resolution of various cases of conscience belonging to it. <laughs> so if that's how long, the, if that's how long the, the title is, you can imagine how long the sentences are, right? The sentences are like this long. It's like, can you give me a break or a paragraph or something? <laughs> So I took the book, though. I, so what happened was I had read, read The Enemy Within, and I'm like, this is such an impact in my life. I want to know more. I want to go deeper. I had this desire that I couldn't stop unless I read, like, John Owen's book. So I bought the book. I read it page to page. I understood about 25% of it. <laughs> Just because the language barrier of reading something from the 1600s was, was so unbelievably difficult. But even that made even a greater change. And so I, like read it and read it until I understood like um, most of it. And at that point, I read every Puritan I could. I read any Puritan that I could get my hands on, and it changed my walk with Christ. And because of that, I became a pastor as a direct result of this. And that's why it was so um, incredible. I didn't realize the difference it was making in my life, that it was changing my life until one day I go to sleep and I have a dream, right? Everyone has normal dreams, no big deal at all. But I dreamed I was in a gang, and I dreamed I was wearing gang colors, and the gang colors were silver and black. And I was riding a Harley, 
The funny part is, you know how dreams are, right? I started out on a bicycle wearing like a leather jacket on. <laughs> by the end of it, I'm like kind of Harley like driving along. I'm like, oh, which I think is a lot cooler than, you know, riding a bicycle with a leather jacket on. With the whole gang thing, you just, yeah, just doesn't do it. But anyway, so there's a girl there who's in the dream. So think of Mickey as a biker babe. <laughs> Actually, you don't have to do that because it was the opposite of that. The girl in the dream who was just a girl, is probably Mickey, I'm guessing, but she actually didn't want me in the game. And she did, want me, did not want me to go downtown that night. And she wanted me to leave the gang. And she was pleading with me. And she was pleading with me. And she was pleading with me. And so she said this in my dream. She said, remove from thee thine colors, thy black and thy silver. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Something's clearly wrong. Because <laughs> I knew exactly what she was saying. But I'm like, remove from thee thy colors, thy silver and thy black. I'm like, who even talks like that, right? But I knew what she was saying. She's like, give up the gang colors. Give it up. Remove it. Get rid of it. And uh, anyway, so <laughs> that's what I knew. I was like really diving deep. So I have a copy of this if anyone wants. I'm going to put it at the table up there. This is The Enemy Within by Kirk Lundgaard. This is the modern one. I got The Mortification of Sin, but I did get the abridged and made easy to read. So the thee, the thine, the thous, those have all been removed. And where a, a, par a sentence or a paragraph in the original Owen work is like a page and a half with like zero breaks at all. Um, this is like really taken out well. They like broke it down in paragraphs and stuff. So if anybody wants to dive deep, I've got this. I'm going to put it out over there as well. Um, so the next thing that I learned was the importance of God's word. It's something we take for granted, right, as Christians, the importance of God's word. We just know it. But I understood just the importance of memorizing Scripture, of hiding Scripture in your heart. Um, pastor Paul approached me and asked me if I, what I thought about becoming a pastor and encouraged me to becoming a pastor. So he had many, many conversations about what that would look like and if I would do it. And in one of these conversations, Paul said, I think that you would make a great pastor, but you don't know your Bible well enough. And I agreed with him. And so I started reading my Bible more, and I started memorizing more, and so I started memorizing verses and passages and stuff. I struggled, though, with the problem that I would memorize something and I would forget it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I'm really doing a good job of this memory thing, right? Because you're supposed to memorize it, and then you're supposed to remember it. That's the whole thing. And so I was kind of discouraged and disappointed, and I listened to a podcast by a guy named John Piper, if you know who uh, he is. But the interviewer asked John Piper, said, how much do you memorize? And John Piper said this. He said, I memorize scripture every single day. And then there was a pause. And he said, and I forget scripture every single day. He said, there's no way that you can remember everything that you've memorized. I mean, you just simply can't do it. And once I heard that, once I heard that, I can forget stuff that I memorized. <laughs> it was like the flood. I'm like, well, this is easy. <laughs> I'm like, I can do this. Anybody can do this. And so I started, so I started memorizing everything. I started out, I, I memorized uh, Romans 8, the full chapter, start to finish, the, the entire thing. From there, I memorized the entire book of Ephesians. From there, the entire book of Galatians. From there, I memorized any book in the New Testament that was six chapters or less, I memorized. And I just went through, and I, just, I, I had this just desire just to, just to get to know God's word, to have it in my heart, to have it be who I 
who I was. Um, and I was like Piper. It's like there's only so much room in your head, and you can't like come back years and years later. But memorizing scripture changes your life. It changes who you are. It becomes a part of who you are. I mean, how many people who took piano lessons can go back to book three and know what exercise 27 was and play it? Nobody can. They don't know what book three or 27 is. But guess what? They can play the piano. And it changes and it moves it and in who it is. And this is what scripture does. And so it changes who we are. It's hidden in our heart and we have it there. And so what happens, in, so you guys all know this, right? Um, is I'll be preaching up here and I've got my notes. I'm like, okay, this and that. And then I'm like, this comes, a, a passage comes into my mind. Or maybe two or three of them. And so I just start this and I start like quoting the passage. And like halfway through, I'm like, I don't remember the second half of the passage. <laughs> <laughs> but I know what it is. It's right in there, right? And so I'll say, he who began a good work in you, um, shoot, he did something, right? What did he do? What did he do? And how long did he do it for? <laughs> and everyone will be like, Philippians 1.6, for he who began a good work in you, right? Well, uh, no, I can't remember myself. <laughs> well, bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But see, it's in there. And you can memorize stuff and you can forget it. And it's okay. No one's going to quiz you. No one's going to say, hey, remember those piano lessons? What was book three, exercise 27? No one's going to say that. I had this big fear that if someone found out I was going to memorize it, and they're going to ask me to recite it. Let me tell you, no one wants you to hear you recite six chapters of the Bible, right? Mickey patiently, I don't know how she did it, but she would sit there with the Bible some night, and I'd go through, and she's like, okay, you got up to chapter four, but verse three was wrong. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, but it, again, it's huge. I cannot stress enough the impact that it makes in your life to memorize scripture. And don't worry about remembering what you memorize. Memorize it. It's who you are. It becomes part of your being and your, and your person. The next thing I learned about was prayer. And I learned especially about praying for other people. And there's two things that I want to talk about there. I'm not talking about the nature of prayer or the power of prayer, but a technique that I use to pray. And it's not just me, right? I've, I've heard this and stuff, but just a way of praying. The first thing is being thankful. So one of the things that we learned here is to look for evidences of grace in someone's life. In other words, look at someone's life. Where do you see God working in their life? Where do you see God doing anything in their life? And then thank God for that. And in your prayer, thank God for those things. We can see this Apostle Paul did this all the time. Colossians chapter 1 says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. That's an evidence of God working in their life. And the love that you have for all the saints, that's an evidence of their life because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. So the Apostle Paul starts his books with thankfulness for those. We need to start our prayers with, well, we don't need to, but again, this is one of my techniques, this is what I've learned, is I start my prayers with thankfulness. I look for, to see where God is working in their lives. The second thing I learned about prayer is to pray beyond the sick list. And that's a direct quote from an article by a guy named David Paulison. And he says this. He says, many prayers sound uncannily like the uncannily... <laughs> it's a hard word to say. Let me say this. They sound a lot like a nursery report at like shift change of the hospital is what it sounds like. And so they come and they're like, oh yeah, we've got a colon cancer patient in room number 103. Don't really know what's going on there. There's a lady in 110. She's got a gallbladder. It's not yielding to the treatment. Um, there's a broken leg in room, you know, 116. Seems to be mending well. Right? That's what it sounds like a lot of our prayers. And he says that these public prayers are often medically informative, but they're spiritually impoverished. 
Usual, phys usually physically, physical healing is the only goal of those prayers. There is so much more that God is doing in our lives than just simply healing us. And we need to pray about those things. And there's three kind of categories that we can pray for. Number one is we pray for the circumstances that the person's going through. If they have a broken leg, if they have lost their job, if they're having marriage problems, if they're going through any of these things, we pray for that circumstance. We pray that God will do those things. God has called us to do that, and we do that. But we don't stop there. We pray for their heart. We pray that God changes them. Let's say this person lost their job. They need a new job, but what's going on in their heart? Fear, stress, turmoil, uncertainty, all that stuff goes through. And when we deal with that stuff, what happens to the people around us? What, how do we act in those times? Lots of times we're short with the people around us, right? We're, we're short-tempered, or we get this introvert, right? So we're either kind of like outward focused anger, like inward, and so we take this stuff inside, and we, we, we get a bucket of ice cream, we get a bag of chips, and we just sit in front of the TV, and we just go there, right? So we pray for the heart, we pray for what's going on, and finally we pray for God's glory. God's glory is ultimate in all of these things, and we can see this, that it's about God's glory. So we pray that God's glory will be revealed in this situation, and so when we pray for someone, um, whether you're praying alone or whether you're praying with them, look for God's evidence of God's grace. Pray let them know, thank God for what they've done and pray for their circumstances. Pray for their heart and what's going on and pray that God's glory will be done in that. Um, either I'm talking long or everyone else talk long, but I've got a couple more minutes, if that's all right. Um, so I apologize for that. I'm usually like a stickler, like um, it's like if, if prayer meeting starts at 7.30 and it ends at 8.30, it's 7.30, 8.30. Like 8.29, I'm like, okay, come on, people, stop praying. <laughs> Not really, but so I'm looking at the time, but I'm almost done. So um, J.C. Ryle, again, my absolute favorite, came right after the Puritans. He wrote a book. It's called The Call to Prayer, a very, very short book. But he says in it, he says, I want the times that we live in to be praying times. I want the Christians of our day to be praying Christians. I want the church to be a praying church. I want those who have never yet prayed to arise and to call upon God. And I want those who do pray to see that they're not praying amiss. Luke 18.1, men ought to always pray. Uh, if somebody wants this book, it's going to be over there, Called to Prayer. This is a short one. Um, it was written in the 1800s, so even though it's short, it might not be like a <laughs> too short. You'll end up putting some work into that. Mickey and I have learned to love God's people. We have learned to love God's people in so many different ways. Whether it's small groups or prayer groups, conversations or counseling, friendships, fellowships, just hanging out. We have learned to love God's people. God has called us into fellowship. It is one of the things that I think makes King and Grace so unique and so different than any other church is just the fellowship that we have here. I cannot commend you guys enough. You guys just do an absolutely fantastic job when it comes to this, and we have learned this. Um, one of the things that Dan had mentioned um, was just me and the time that I spent with, with the young men of the church. My heart goes out to the young men of the church, just absolutely. Those guys who are in their teens, those guys who are in their 20s. And I've spent a lot of time with these young guys, and like Dan said, we've, we've painted, we've built shelves, we've done this, and a bunch of the other guys, um, we've done stuff. I think Ethan and I assembled this uh, pulpit that I'm now, that I buy, if I remember right. 
And so we, I've spent time with these guys, and we've talked, and we've worked side by side, and we've spent this time together. You know, there's um, difficult times in everyone's life. And every season of people's lives have different difficulties and things go in there. And every man and every woman has difficult times. But young men seem to have a unique time when they're teens and their 20s. In Titus 2, the Apostle Paul takes like this much of the, of the uh, page to give directions and instructions on how Titus is supposed to help these people. He says, help older men do this, younger uh, older women to do this, younger women to do this. When he comes to younger men, he tells Titus one simple thing. He says, urge the young men to be self-controlled. Three words to the young men. After this much to everybody else, be self-controlled. That's all he says. J.C. Ryle wrote a book that is absolutely fantastic. It's called uh, Thoughts to Young Men. And in the beginning, J.C. Ryle gives this quote. He says, I'm growing old myself, but there are a few things that I remember so well as the days of my youth. I have a most distinct recollection of the joys and the sorrows, the hopes and the fears, the temptations and the difficulties, the mistaken judgments and misplaced affections, the errors and aspirations which surround and accompany a young man's life. If I can only say something to keep some young man in the right way and preserve him from faults and sins which may mar his prospects, both for time and for eternity, I shall be very, very thankful. That's his heart, and that's the heart that comes through this book. So if any of the young men want to do this, uh, dive into the 1800s, dive into something that is so solid that it's life-changing, I'm going to put the book over there as well. Um, I said pastors are not already there. They're not fully mature. They don't come to you with, all, with everything like that. That goes the same with pastor's wives as well. Sometimes it's easy to put an undue burden on a pastor's wife just because it is. Um, no one has done this um, here for like, Mickey, I can only speak for Mickey, and I just thank you for that. Um, but we have grown so much, right? Because Mickey wasn't here when she got here. And the Mickey that you see today wasn't the Mickey that got here before, but she has grown so much. We have both grown so much. Um, it's just incredible. But we have grown in our faith immensely, immensely. We have grown in our love for the church. We have grown in our love for God's people. We have grown in encouragement. We have grown in hospitalities. One of the areas that we grew together was in parenting. This has been a wonderful place to raise children. And I think of all the conversations that we had, I think of walking together with other Christian parents and the different books that we read, like Shepherding a Child's Heart, I believe may or may not be on the bookcase over there. Um, but we've read all these things. Um, Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. J.C. Ryle, again, sounds like I'm pushing this guy to, to read, but you, you want to read something good, J.C. Ryle's is a man. But anyway, he wrote a book, an entire book, based on that single verse. Um, it's called The Duties of Parents. And he said this, train well for this life and train well for the life to come. Train well for earth and train well for heaven. Train them for God, for Christ, and for eternity. If anybody wants this, The Duties of Parents is going to be on the table as well. Absolutely, absolutely fantastic book. What makes King of Grace so special? The preaching. 
the teaching, the fellowship, the encouragement, the warmth, the welcome, the love. I don't know how I can possibly portray how special King of Grace is. And I don't know that I can possibly portray what we've, uh, just how we've grown and what we've gained from here. It's just absolutely incredible. One of the seminary students came here, her name was Haley, and uh, she went to seminary at Gordon-Conwell, and she was here for her three years in seminary. And she came, and she became part of the church. And I remember when she was leaving, I was, uh, we were having a conversation, uh, Mickey and Haley and myself, and she said, I want to take this with me wherever I go. And in any church that I'm in, I want to try to bring this, what we have at King and Grace, with me. It is just an amazing thing. We have felt so loved, so welcomed, so encouraged. And at times when we needed to be challenged, we were challenged. And things were brought up. And it was this fellowship that's just amazing. Um, absolutely amazing. And one of the things that Paul's already talked about this is looking to the future. God will provide for King and Grace Church. God will absolutely provide, um, despite those nice people leaving, um, <laughs> which I want to meet them afterwards. I guess there's some for so. But we began comparing our time to the life of a child, from a baby to the age of graduation. At every graduation, there's this look to the future, right? Because as one chapter ends, another chapter begins. But when we look at, well, actually, let me back up. So there's this time, right? And when we look at this stuff, sometimes there's uncertainty in this time, right? These times end, these chapters end, and a new chapter begins. And there's always uncertainty in there because we don't know what lies ahead. And we don't do well with not knowing what's going on. We want to know, and there's that difficulty. What are things going to look like? Things are going to be different, these things. But what does God teach us throughout Scripture? God teaches us that we look to the past to see his faithfulness. And that's how we know that he will be faithful in the future. And so we can even look back at King and Grace and we can see these things that we've gone, gone through. Even like Paul said, um, when things were at the darkest and we thought the doors were going to close, and yet they didn't. And God was faithful in those things. Um, even getting this building, right? We started in a school. We went to the YMCA. We got this building when we weren't that big of a congregation. And we didn't have that much money. But we came in here and we prayed. We toured the building. I remember there was a bunch of us that went to this judge room. And we sat down and we prayed before we even got the building. And God gave us this building. At a time when at least one of those people, <laughs> me, didn't have as much faith as the rest. Especially Paul who had the faith. He's like, this is it. I'm like, boy, I don't know. It's a lot of money. I had much, you know, this and that stuff. But we prayed about it, right? And here we are, and we see God's faithfulness um, in there. And we've had worship leaders, wonderfully gifted people, and they've left. And we've got new worship leaders. Why do you point out worship leaders? Because those are the guys who you see like every Sunday morning, right? You see the worship team, the members right up here. And so we've had ones leave, but God has always given us new ones. So we can look to the past to see the future. You can't do that in like the stock market, right? They always have the little warning. But you know what? You can do that in God's kingdom. And God said, do this in my kingdom. Look to the past. See where I'm faithful. See what I've done. And this is what I'm going to do um, now. And now we have Paul. And it's um, God brought us here at a specific time when there was only Paul as a pastor. And he was doing all these things. And God brought me us there and brought me up as a pastor that time when King of Grace needed it the absolute most. And so um, now we're in a different season. We've got Paul as the full-time pastor. We've got Toby as a bivocational. We've got um, Brendan as a pastoral intern. Um, 
And, but so God will provide. And we're looking forward, Mickey and I were talking about the other day, we're looking forward to see what God is going to do with King of Grace. We're looking forward to seeing what God will do with you. So the question becomes, if King of Grace means this much to us, why are we leaving? <laughs> and Mickey and I have had this conversation, and we had it before, and as the date gets closer and closer, we have it more and more, and Mickey's words are always like, what, are we stupid? <laughs> are we sure we're doing the right thing? But the answer is we do feel like we're doing the right thing because it's a new ministry, right? We want to minister to God's ministers. We want them to have this place where the pastors and their wives can be refreshed, can be renewed, can be relaxed. Pastors of small churches, because that's who we're focusing on, pastors of small churches, they do so much. They have so many burdens, and it's easy to get tired. It's easy to get weary, and it's easy to get discouraged at times too. And with small churches comes small salaries. So they don't have room, extra resources to go on vacation and to have their refreshment time. So our idea is to get a place where they can come and stay for free. They can just come and stay for free. But not only is it just the staying for free, the refreshing, the relaxing, but we want to build relationally. So we want to come. And so when they come in, they can talk. They've got people who understand who have been there um, so Mickey, as a pastor's child, her dad was in the ministry for 50 years. That's all she knew, right? Myself being bivocational, I understand the tension between working 40 or 50 hours a week, having a, a, a wife and children that you're caring for, plus giving time to the church. There's a unique burden that comes with that, um, all of these things. And so we want to build relationally so we can talk. So they've got somewhere that they can talk, somewhere that they can build relationships. And we want them to come back year over year so that we can, that we continue to... Um, connect with them. So we really, really feel like this is God's call on our lives. And uh, as someone already said, it's like now more than ever, this is absolutely needed for this year that's been so draining for, for all of us and these guys especially. So in one way, we feel like we can minister to more people by ministering to the ministers. So 17 and a half years from a baby to a high school graduate in 20 minutes. <laughs> I tried to highlight some of the things but the things that I've learned, I can't even scratch the surface. I've tried to highlight what you guys have meant to make it myself. I can't even begin to scratch the surface. All the love, the care, and the encouragement that we've received from you guys, absolutely amazing. So thank you so much for, um, from Mickey and from, my, um, and from myself. And I, do, and I do, I apologize for the time, but I do just want to pray for you guys. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and I see evidences of your grace throughout this church, Lord. I see a faith in you that is tremendous. I see a love for your people that is tremendous, Lord. And I just thank you for that. And now, Lord, I do just pray that you will raise up people. Lord, I realize that myself and Mickey have done a lot of different things. So there will be a need for people, Lord, to volunteer to do these things. And there has already, Lord, been a list of people, or a line of people, or a bunch of people have said, I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to do this. So I just thank you for that, Lord. But things will look different, Lord, and I do pray for our hearts, Lord, and that there might not be a fear or any of that sense that these guys are leaving. One of our, and, and not even that is Jeff and Mickey, but that one of the pastors is leaving. Lord, there comes a natural wonderment and a little bit nervousness about that. So, Lord, just uh, be with, uh, Lord, be with the hearts of the people here, Lord. And above all, Lord, we just pray that you might get the glory. We pray that you might get the glory in our new ministry. We pray that you might get the glory in King and Grace, Lord, that this will be a time of flourishing. Lord, COVID, the COVID restrictions end today. 
Next Sunday is a new Sunday. It is a new season, Lord. May you flourish and bless this church, Lord, King and Grace, during this time. And Lord, let that be this, this uh, just time, Lord, of just fruitfulness, Lord, that just blossoms, Lord. In your precious and holy name I pray, amen.